Gary, welcome to our uh, Q3 2021 investment review. It's October 5th when we're recording this. How are you? I'm doing good, Ben. How are you doing? Good. It's getting colder around here. Yeah, well, and I've also dried out from being a drowned rat on Saturday. <laughs> I went to a football game down in Lafayette, Indiana, West Lafayette, to be exact. Right. And it rained and it poured during the entire game. And uh, I was soaked to the bone. But I'm sitting here in my living room and it's dry. So you're dry. I'm okay. Did, uh, did Shelly stay for the whole game? Uh, Shelly was the smart one. She left after the first quarter. Okay, nice, nice. That's I great. was not so smart. No, and it didn't help that our boilers lost. So uh, that made it even worse. Well, we'll move. We'll move on from there. Uh, so our, <laughs> um, we just ended the third quarter, and uh, markets were actually not great. Uh, not not the best quarter we've had, but uh, especially September was down. We'll talk about that. But any uh, opening thoughts before we jump into uh, my favorite charts? Well. Things are interesting. As uh, the old saying goes, we live in interesting times and we certainly are right now. Absolutely. And uh, we will get to some of those interesting headlines and, and all sorts of things here in a minute. So let's, uh, let's jump in and just take a look year to date. Uh, the chart I think you can see up on the, your screen is looking at various indices that we invest in. Uh, we don't have the exact investments, but these are things you could go buy. This is uh, Vanguard Emerging Markets, Developed Markets, S&P 500 bonds and gold year-to-date return. So this is total return. So you can see here uh, on the screen, the worst investment so far has been gold actually so far this year, which is I think a little bit surprising just with inflation where it is, but we'll talk about that a little bit more in a few minutes. Bonds kind of expected uh, are negative. They're, they're down, not really earning much, down 1.8% uh, for the year. Best investment has been the S&P 500. Again, uh, continues you know a 10-year run here where large cap U.S. stocks have done really well, up almost 16% through the end of September. And then developed markets and emerging markets um, have, have underperformed the S&P 500, but have still been positive for the year. So any thoughts as you kind of look at this? Uh, any surprises? Anything jump out to you? Well, I guess what jumps out at me is uh, the concept that uh, we've preached for uh, 30 plus years is diversification. And when you have, when you're properly diversified, you're always going to have something that you own and that you should own that isn't keeping up with the market at any point in time. And right now it's obvious that's gold. Mm -hmm. uh, so gold uh, doesn't tend to do as well as a market when a market is doing very good. It tends to do uh, better, really, contra to the market. It is a great market diversifier uh, and uh, returns for gold over 
thousands of years have been a very good inflation protector, but in any specific year, gold can be down and it's down this year. It's dragging down returns a little bit, but from the point in time when Ben first started uh, buying gold, uh, gold has been a very nice investment has helped to reduce the volatility of the portfolio overall. Uh, we still want to own it, but is it down this year? Yep, it is down this year. Like you said, it's uh, diversification, and uh, we're never we're never going to overweight something that's going to always be up or always be down. It's it's all about balancing between all the different parts of the portfolio. Absolutely. So let's let's go back uh, to our charts here, and uh, I want to I want to talk a little bit more about the makeup of the market. And uh, we've talked about this before a little bit, just the power of the big five. So the big the big five companies that make up over twenty five percent of the S and P five hundred are Facebook, Amazon, um, Apple, Google, which is Alphabet, and uh, Microsoft are all on here, and. Uh, you can see this is the last six months uh, is what we have on here now. So second and third quarter of last year or this year, sorry. Uh, we've got the S&P 500 is second from the bottom. So 7.73%. But you can see that a lot of that's driven really by the power of these 25% that make that is leading the way. And where this where these go, uh, the market goes. Overall, when you look at an index, the underlying companies, the other companies, the 495 smaller companies in the S&P 500 have actually underperformed these big five so far this year and, and really the last six months. And I think it's just something to be very aware of. The headlines are always going to talk about these companies. They're, they're the biggest companies in the world. They move the market. We are intentionally invested to be less in these than just the index. So by having a small cap tilt, by having um, a little bit of a value tilt, we're intentionally going slightly away from these. So you have a little bit less impact on the portfolio. So far this year, that's actually hurt our clients. It's part of diversification. We're diversifying away from just five companies, but we still own them and they've done well. But in the last... Um, the last couple months, last three months, so here's the third quarter, this is showing the percent off of the high. And you can see that especially in September, all of these companies really kind of fell off and are all off significantly and off more from the top, from the peak um, than the SP 500. The SP 500 is down 5% from its peak, but all of these companies are down. You look at the two at the bottom, Facebook and Amazon, down almost 15% from their peak. Uh, that's what the headlines are saying. That's when people, I think, get worried because, oh, no, uh, Facebook is down. Amazon is down. What are we going to do? But we're invested closer to that S&P 500 than just these. Do you see anything when you look at, at this or, or the previous chart? You know, these are all companies that have very high valuations based upon price earnings and so on. 
and they are the favorites of the market and they'll tend to go up more when the market goes up they'll tend to drop more as the market goes down and that's just the way it is we do have some exposure to them we should have some exposure to them uh, but we really don't want to be overweight in in these stocks absolutely so let's let's move on. You kind of mentioned some valuations and and things. So we're going to talk uh, shift gears a little bit about looking ahead. So this was all what's happened so far, but looking ahead and and as we see where the market is now and moving forward. First one we want to start with is just valuations. Uh, so I'm going to skip ahead to our Schiller PE chart. So um, Gary, you want to take a stab at uh, concerns about valuation and Schiller PE and and what this is showing. Well, I mean, I think that is one of the reasons to be concerned about the market is when you look at historical valuations of which the Schiller uh, P.E. ratio uh, is one uh, good um, measure of valuation. Uh, we're getting up there, the second highest uh, that we've ever had, mm -hmm. uh, even more than the 1920s and the 19. Uh, 60s and so on, everything except uh, 1998 and 99. Uh, so that's a reason uh, for some concern. Uh, now, a major qualifier to that is that the Schiller historically doesn't tell you when uh, that valuation is going to get to the point that the market is actually going to have uh, a bear market or anything. You can't tell that from just looking at the Schiller, but that that is a concern. Uh, there are no question that valuations uh, are, uh, well, they're not low. <laughs> no, they're not. They're not low at all. And, um, and it is second highest, as you said. Um, only time it's been higher is tech bubble, right before the tech bubble burst in the late 90s. And um, the Schiller PE is just basically a measurement of price earnings over the last 10 years um, and where things are. Now, one factor to keep in mind as, and, and we've talked about this is part of what goes into this is uh, interest rates. And so, as you can see <laughs> since 1980, uh, US, interest rates have dropped and just been on this downward slope, as we kind of all know, it would be great if we could go back and buy bonds at 8%. Uh, that'd be nice. But uh, the 10-year treasury is at 1.5%. And that is a factor into higher valuations. Another way to think about the rate that I think is really important for clients to remember is valuations are high for stocks. Prices are high. But when interest rates are this low, that also means bond prices are high. So it's not just stocks that are high in price. Bonds arguably are the highest they've ever been price-wise um, with interest rates as low as they are. And even with this rate, United States is one of the highest, if not the highest in the developed world. <laughs> you look at Europe, uh, still in negative territory, still having negative interest rates. Um, prices can even go lower or sorry, Interest rates can even go lower. Prices can go even higher on bonds. And uh, there's a reason you would argue that interest rates or 
valuations are higher and it's because interest rates are, are so much lower as well. Yeah, historically, low interest rates are definitely better for the stock market. Uh, that's certainly something that has helped uh, the market do as well as it has since uh, 2009. Uh, my concern about that is that short-term interest rates that are really determined by the Federal Reserve, um, these are, I will call them government-induced super low rates. They are not market rates. And um, uh, the, I'm really concerned about the fact that because these are government-induced rates, uh, it causes things like malinvestment. If you're thinking about building a new plant uh, and you can borrow at 2% or 3%, that plant looks a heck of a lot better to do it than if we had market rates that, and I don't know what they would be exactly today, but let's say you had to finance that at five or six or 7%, there's a heck of a lot of investments that look good at 2% that don't look good at all at what would be a real market rate, something certainly well in advance of one and a half percent. And so I'm concerned uh, about that and that malinvestment, and we may have moved some investment forward, uh, brought it in from the future that could help to reduce uh, growth rates in the future. Uh, you know, nobody knows what's, what's gonna happen, but I think given what's going on, uh, that tells me that there's a greater likelihood of uh, lower uh, growth rates in the, in the future, but we're still going to grow and stocks still will participate in that. Uh, but I'm afraid we, we have borrowed some growth from the future. I, I think that's a good point. And, and it kind of leads us into um, our next discussion on inflation and, and money printing and, and all sorts of things we're going to talk about here in a minute. Even with everything that you said, and I, I think you and I have talked about this enough to know that, that we agree, um, just because there's reasons to be concerned about pulling growth from the future into today, that doesn't mean we have any idea on the timing of when things uh, play out the other direction. And it could be decades still before worst case scenario type of events happen, um, even if we are concerned about a lot of things that are out there um, from a, a macro perspective, that doesn't mean in the next 12 months, something is going to happen. Boy, that's for sure. If we could, if we could predict that, we could time the market and boy, we'd be this, our next uh, YouTube uh, call here would be coming from my 400 foot yacht moored in Monte Carlo Harbor. Uh, but unfortunately, it's not going to be that way. No, it's and, not. <laughs> you know, it's, you know, being able to predict the future, there's thousands of people that think that they can. The number of people that can do that uh, time after time after time after a number of years 
uh, we could fit them into uh, a dinghy, mm -hmm. uh, a little rowboat uh, there. And we are not one of those people. Uh, what we do is react to things as they occur, not attempt to say that a year from now, such and such is going to happen. Uh, because we don't know, and consistently, there's nobody out there that's really good uh, at that over a number of years. There's plenty of them that can do it once or twice, uh, but uh, that doesn't really, really help you much. Mm -hmm. Well, and, and before we move on, I, I think now's a good time as any clients have heard from me um, a lot uh, about um, their goal, financial goals and how, how we invest and so on. I mean, it, I just want to hear in your words, why do we invest in general? You know, we get so focused on the movements here, but I think it's important to step back and, and take a big picture look at what, what's the purpose? Why are we investing for our clients? Well, it's the first one that you've alluded to and talked to clients about a whole lot is uh, investing is the best way to reach your, your long-term goals. And the reason that that's true is what we're doing is investing in the miracle of capitalism. And capitalism is really the reason that we have had growth uh, over the last you know 250 years or so that uh, if you look at from ancient times up until Adam Smith and, Ad and capitalism came around here 250 years ago or so, and where it really took hold was the Industrial Revolution in England, uh, it's capitalism that has brought forth all the innovative uh, things from human beings and allowed them to, to flourish. And those are the, the things, the inventiveness, human inventiveness that has allowed the growth in an economic system that is built to really help people flourish and the freedom uh, that they get. Uh, that's why we invest is so that you will be able to reach long-term goals that you have, because we don't have anything in the stock market that you're going to need next year or the year after. And that's something that I think people easily forget that, you know, what's the market going to do in the next six months or whatever? Well, we watch that. We're concerned about that. But what the market does in the next six months isn't going to determine whether you're going to reach the, the long-term goals. That, that you have. And that's why we're in the, in the market. You're not going to reach your long-term goals when you're fighting against both taxes and inflation. When today you can invest in a 10-year treasury and get one and a half percent after inflation and taxes, you've lost money right. with, with right. that investment. And uh, stocks uh, and having the ability to invest in equity uh, whatever form that, that that is, again, whether that's real estate stocks, different types of stocks, and so on, that's how you're going to reach your, your long-term goals. That's great. And uh, that's, a, that's a great segue to talk about inflation into our next topic, which, which is inflation. And uh, thanks for that, Gary. So um, what I'm going to show here, this is the inflation rates 
since 1970. And uh, obviously, we've, we talk about the 70s and early 80s and how high inflation was. Uh, Gary, your first mortgage, I always like this story. Do you, <laughs> do you remember what the, what the interest rate was and why you were happy about it? <laughs> yeah, this was 1980. Uh, I had just moved back to Chicago uh, from St. Louis and was looking for a condo to buy in the city. And uh, when I found the condo, at that time, you could assume a mortgage from the seller. And the current mortgage rates at that time were about 13 and a quarter percent. And young people listening to this have probably just fell off their chairs saying, is that possible? Yeah, it is. Well, I was extremely happy because I was able to assume uh, the mortgage from the buyer at 11 and 7 eighths percent. And I was ecstatic that I could do that. And, um, you know, I certainly wouldn't project that that's going to happen again anytime soon, but it sure can happen. It's happened before. And, uh, I was paying 11 and seven eighths and really happy to have it. That's crazy. That's crazy. I mean, what, uh, what do you think CD rates were then and, and things like that? <laughs> well, I can tell you that the money market rates uh, went up as high as I'm going to say 16, 17%. Wow. And uh, I actually was unhappy with that. And I was afraid to put a lot of money into my money market fund, which were brand new things. Money markets only came about, as we know them today, only came about, I'm going to say, 1977, 78 or so. Uh, but interest rates had been on a steady march upward mm -hmm. for 15 years or so. And so even though Today, that 17, 16% rate looks, wow, uh, you'd want to do everything with that. Well, the year before it was 15%, the year before that it was 13 and a half and so on. So at that time, uh, I believed and everybody believed, okay, well, 17%, well, next year, it's just going to be 18% or 19%. Uh, don't lock it up uh, at an in potentially inferior yield of 16 or 17 percent wow. <laughs> that's crazy and and all that um you know we're talking about interest rates but it's all tied to inflation if inflation wasn't yeah. as high as it was then uh you didn't have interest rates at that level you didn't need interest rates at that level um yeah. and inflation and interest rates tend to rise together or fall together over long periods of time uh right now we're not quite in that spot that <laughs> the Treasury is is 1.5% for the 10 year and inflation rate as of right now is five and a quarter uh, percent. But um, over long periods of time, those are tied together. And I, I think as we look at these charts, and uh, let me pull that back up. You know, when you see the spike in uh, 1980 there, <laughs> of uh, the inflation rate hitting, uh, what is it 15%. I mean, that's, that's crazy <laughs> to think about um, what that would be. Yeah, you could get at that time back 79, 80, you could get a 30-year treasury paying 17 and a half, 18%. Uh, 
Uh, I hate to say it, but I didn't low up, didn't load up on them. <laughs> well, and and obviously people didn't load up on them because uh, the only way it was at that rate is it's supply and demand. People didn't demand uh, yeah. to buy all that. If they did, the rates would have come down. Prices would have gone up. <laughs> so right. That's crazy. Um, so let's let's talk about today now. Tell me, Gary. Uh, you know, you and I talk a lot about about secular inflation and and this concern that we're going in inflationary. This is not just transitory. Um, I think we both kind of agree. Uh, it's kind of crazy to think it's just transitory. But uh, tell me, in your mind, what are the big concerns for inflation in the U.S.? Well, first thing I will say, I am sick and tired of hearing that word transitory. It is so overused that every time I hear it, what little hair I have left on the top of my head grows straight up and I want to punch the TV or the radio. Wow, uh, Gary's getting violent over here. <laughs> yeah. Well, I haven't done it yet. Okay, so okay. That, that, that's a good thing. My wife would be extremely unhappy if she was no longer able to listen to The Bachelor on uh, Tuesday evening. So <laughs> I, I'm not about to do that. But, uh, you know, I, I, there's a lot of discussion about how long inflation is going to go uh, here. Is it going to be just short term or is it longer term? Uh, I am more concerned about longer term, the things that we're seeing uh, out there uh, suggest to me that inflation isn't going to go away in six months. Um, I think it's a big question mark how long that, it, that it's going to last. Now, in terms of investing, uh, during times of low to moderate inflation, that tends to be fairly good for stocks because it makes it easier for companies to increase prices uh, and um, so that tends to help earnings and so on. Now, really high inflation, as we got during the, low, the late 70s, as we just talked about, that's another matter. High inflation is not good for uh, stocks at, at all, because when you get to high single digits or heaven forbid, even into double digits, well, companies can't increase uh, their prices to anything like what inflation is going up. And so it's detrimental to earnings uh, over time. It's going to be very detrimental to uh, stock prices. Uh, but at this point, we don't see where we're going to be looking at double digit inflation. Um, uh, it's going up. Uh, I don't consider that to be a good thing. Uh, as rapidly as it has gone up here. But uh, at this point, um, uh, we still think uh, that moderate inflation uh, is probably uh, uh, a moderately good thing for, for stocks overall. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think uh, so definitely looking historically, um, inflation there's there's some things we can get from the stock market inflation and and how that's played out uh we're also in an unprecedented time just in terms of um the fed involvement in everything and uh and the amount of money that's being spent in the level of of budget deficits and and all the above adding it all together 
every time is different. I know that uh, in investing, kind of, uh, it's it's been known that you should never say this time is different, except for <laughs> every time is different than the last. Um, and with all that being said, um, let me share a, a few charts just looking at the historical, knowing that uh, we've got to take into account both what happened and, and what could happen in the future. So why does inflation matter? I guess let's start at the top left of what we have on this screen. Inflation matters because your money is worth less over time. That's that's what inflation is. It's it's. I would view it, your dollars are worth less is probably a better way to think about it than things cost more. It's the same thing, just flip the argument around, but um, the devaluation of your money. And so this top left is when does inflation cut money in half? When is $1 worth 50 cents? If you only have 2% inflation there on the right, it takes 35 years. If you have 5%, which is where we are right now, if we have 5% for 14 years, your money buys half of what it did uh, at the beginning of that time period. So inflation really matters from a spending perspective. It also matters on a return. So what we have down below is looking at a few different time periods that all had different types of inflation. Nominal returns is the returns you see on paper. Inflation is what was the inflation rate. And then real returns is just nominal returns minus inflation. What did you beat inflation by? What are the excess returns um, over inflation? <clears throat> so you can see that 1970s, uh, which is this 1966 to 1981, which was known as the worst time to uh, retire 1966 historically because of, of high inflation. Returns actually after inflation for the stock market were negative lost almost 1% a year, 0.9%. So as you said, Gary, inflation that's high, there's the highest inflation on that list, average almost 7% for 16 years. That's a big deal. Um, and it's hard to make up for it. That being said, if you just own bonds during that time period, <laughs> uh, that did even worse. And you can see on the right, those numbers uh, there, just looking in the chart form, on what actually happened on a real return. But with all of it, in stocks are still one of the best inflation hedges that we have. They're not perfect. They don't move in lockstep with inflation to keep up with it. But in the long run, if you're a long-term investor, stocks are still going to be one of the better hedges against inflation because you're getting higher returns. Couldn't agree more. Great. So let's move to some headlines. Uh, there's a lot of headlines right now. And, and you said uh, before we started recording, <laughs> you said uh, there's, there's a lot of things going on and there are a lot of reasons to be concerned. Um, and uh, as you said at the very beginning, we live in interesting times. So let's talk about those interesting times. Uh, I've got three different uh, kind of headlines here. We've got top right, um, just uh, South China Sea, some some geopolitical risks. Uh, on the left, we've got energy inflation and and food inflation, inflation around the world, um, really picking up. And then, of course, we know the whole capital <laughs> Capitol Hill gridlock. Don't even have on here Evergrande listed, but uh, there's a lot of things going on out there. Anything you want to talk about? Well, what I would say is no, number one. Sometimes people will talk about, you know, that they want to be more invested when 
the economy or the stock market is more stable. Well, um, the stock market is always doing one thing or another, economics and pol political, there's always something going on. And there's always something to be worried about. And if we went to cash, 100% cash, heaven forbid, uh, or 50% cash when we got worried, well, I'd say uh, we'd probably always be in cash because right. uh, there's always something to, to worry about. Uh, and that's not the way to go about investing. And the reason for that is because then you're letting emotions determine how you're going to invest. And with my nearly 35 years of experience as an advisor and my over 50 years invest, investment experience, I know that emotions makes people, and that includes professionals with long-term experience like myself, if I let emotion determine how I'm going to invest, I'm going to want to buy when the market's already high and going higher because my brother-in-law is telling me about how much money that he's made in the market. And I'm afraid that I haven't done that well, so I better go jump in. And when we go into a bear market, my brother-in-law is telling me about how, oh boy, I got out a long time ago and I'm still in. So what do I wanna do when things are really down? I wanna sell. Those are exactly the wrong things to be doing at exactly the wrong time. You've all heard about uh, uh, <clears throat> buy low, sell high. Well, mm -hmm. you know, you ought to be buying. Uh, and that's what you'd be hearing from us when the market has really uh, gone low. Uh, when the market is really hitting new highs and everything, that's not the time that you want to be jumping in. Mm -hmm. uh, with both feet into the market. Um, don't let emotions. And that's one of the things today with the market being up uh, pretty high. And uh, I've read numerous articles uh, written about the fact people getting nervous and mm -hmm. there's plenty to be nervous about. I'm not underestimating that, but to just to decide, well, let's go sell out a big part of the portfolio, heaven forbid all of it, uh, is not the right move to be making. Absolutely. And just to piggyback on that, I think um, what we've got up here is is a little chart that made the rounds on on Twitter recently. Uh, so you may have heard the book "Rich Dad Poor Dad" by uh, Robert Kawasaki, and uh, he wrote that I feel like around 2000. But um, he tweeted just last week that uh, there's a giant stock market crash coming in October. And uh, you should go to cash and, and all this. And I had a few clients actually send me some articles and it, it, you know, mainstream media picked it up. It was all over CNN and Wall Street Journal and, and all sorts of things talking about how he's saying, predicting this crash. This chart, I think, is really good because what you're seeing is the S&P 500 back to 2009 and all the different times that he's actually predicted a crash and said, you need to get out now. And the whole point is, 
you could look at any year. You could just Google it. What are the headlines for a crash in 2011, 2012, whatever. And you could see all of the headlines and all the things that suggested now's the time to get out of the market. I want to get out. I don't want to be in when things are volatile. But if you had sold and, and followed this advice and not to pick on him, but any advice that says now's the time to get out, we can predict the future. We know this crash is coming. You're going to be significantly poorer by trading around the headlines than just staying invested for the long run. And that goes back to what we talked about uh, earlier. There is no money that any of our clients has in the stocks that they need for the next 10 years. That's just a rule that we have. If you are invested in stocks, that money needs to weather through the ups and the downs of the market. And so if you're going to buy a house, if you're going to retire and withdraw money uh, out of the portfolio, if you've got college expenses to pay for, that money shouldn't be invested in stocks if you're going to use it the next decade. The only money invested in stocks is for the long run. And so you can weather through any of these ups and downs in the market because you're able to keep it invested, buy low, rebalance between the diversified assets and stay invested. And that's the number one factor for success is just your ability to put emotions to the side and letting the market do its thing. Couldn't have said it better. Well, I learned from you, so. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I guess to wrap up, Gary, is there anything we didn't talk about or didn't talk about enough that you want to uh, address, you know, to our clients now? Well, I'll go back to a positive thing that we talked about. I think it was in our last uh, YouTube uh, get together. Uh, I am very positive about things that are happening on the technology front. Um, and beyond just those five fang stocks and that's one of the reasons why they've done so well because that's mostly technology uh, but there are great things well beyond what those five companies are doing that i'm very encouraged about and we were talking about future growth of the economy uh, i think that's the the foundation of uh, the biggest part of the future growth that we are going to have in this in this country and worldwide for that matter is the great technology things that are out there and we'll uh, be seeing more of them <clears throat> excuse me um, over the next decade absolutely um sorry there's a siren <laughs> going off right behind me but uh i i think I think there's a lot of reasons that clients are pessimistic and they're worried about the future, but there's a whole lot of, of positive things that are out there and technology is one big one. As we look ahead, as, as you look ahead and, and uh, it's easy to be attracted to all the negative headlines, but uh, there's a lot of reasons to be positive as well. Negative headlines is what sells ratings and sells newspapers and so on and so forth. It isn't necessarily an accurate reflection of everything that's going on in the world. Absolutely. Bad news is easy to sell. I think that's a good way to end. So Gary, thanks for being a part of it again uh, this, this month. Glad to do it, Ben. <laughs>